If I were to ask you to think of a picture that portrays the gentleness and the meekness of Jesus, there's a really good chance that you might think of a picture that looks like this. Or maybe a picture that looks like this. Or if you thought Jesus was really, really gentle, maybe a picture that looks like this. There's a lot of sheep. But there's a reason why so much of Christian art throughout history has depicted Jesus in his gentleness as holding these baby lambs. Because it has this idea that Jesus is so meek, that he's so mild, that he's so gentle, that he's so humble, that even a baby lamb would let him hold him in his hands. But when we look through the pages of scripture, we see a much more real picture of the gentleness and meekness and kindness of Jesus. As we look through scripture, we don't see a somewhat European-looking Jesus holding baby lamb, but we see something far more shocking. We see a first-century Middle Eastern man look at someone who has leprosy. And people who had leprosy were often outcasts from society. They were often moved outside of the city because they were seen as so scary and so dangerous because of their disease that no one would want to have anything to do with them. And yet here in that culture, this Middle Eastern man, Jesus of Nazareth, would put his hands on lepers and heal them and bring them back into society. We see in Jesus someone who dined with tax collectors and prostitutes, the worst of the worst people in their society, people who would take advantage of others, people who had little to no morals, people who were looked down upon, and yet Jesus would go into their homes and sit at their tables like members of their family and eat dinner with them. We see Jesus welcoming children into his presence when his disciples considered them a nuisance. We see Jesus meeting with beggars and with people who had been crippled since birth and had physical deformities and defects that were looked at as less than in society and going to them where they were and bringing hope and life and even forgiveness for sins. We see a great teacher, a master, someone who had disciples following him, who got down on his hands and knees and washed this dirt off of his disciples' feet, even though they were supposed to be the people following him. But we also see the Jesus who cleansed the temple. We see a Jesus who calls sinners to repent. We see a Jesus who challenged the religious leaders, but also who stood silent before his accusers as false accusation after false accusation after false accusation was lobbied against him to the point where he was put to death. And then he died, even though he had the power to make it stop. This is the kind of meekness or the kind of gentleness that Jesus has set us free if we're in Christ to live out. This is the kind of gentleness that Paul calls a fruit of the Spirit and is something that's supposed to mark and define the life of a Christian. And so as we started last week, we're going to look again at this word that the English translations often bring about as gentleness and the fruit of the Spirit. And if you weren't here last week, this is a little bit different than how we've been going through all the other fruit of the Spirit, because we've been taking one fruit per week and then looking at another passage of Scripture that helps kind of understand what's going on. But here with this word that's translated gentleness, it's so deep and so complex that we've really used last week and this week just to break down what that word means so that we have a better understanding of how that fruit of the Spirit impacts and changes our lives and how we can live it out. And so to understand meekness or gentleness, and you'll hear me use those words interchangeably all morning, 
We have to know and understand what it means. We have to see what meekness is, and we also have to recognize what meekness is not so that we can go out and live out this gentleness and meekness in a way that honors and glorifies Christ, that works for the good of our neighbors, and that also brings glory to God in all things. And so our passage this morning, as it has been for several, several weeks, is Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word like we do every single week. And God, as we've been looking through these fruit of the Spirit, we also thank you for the example that we see time and time again in Christ himself. And the fact that these fruit of the Spirit are based on on you, on your character, on your goodness, on your love, on your joy, and God, on your gentleness and meekness that was fully put on display through the life of Jesus. And so God, we pray as should be our prayer every single day that as each day passes that we look more and more like Christ and especially as we think about this now in the way that we go about living gently and meekly in a world that often doesn't look very gentle or meek so God speak to us through your word teach us through your Holy Spirit and as always we ask that we do all things to your glory in Jesus name amen So I want to look at what meekness is not, because I think by looking at what it isn't, we can find out a lot about what it is. And so first and foremost, we need to understand that meekness or gentleness is not false humility. Meekness isn't some sense of false humility, putting ourselves down in an effort to raise ourselves up. In Jesus' time, the Pharisees, as we know, were the religious leaders. They were the ones who sat on a pedestal. They had a really important job. They were the people who were responsible for keeping the oral law. And they were also responsible for running the worship inside the synagogues. They had a lot of weight and a lot of pressure on their shoulders, but they were also very visible people. And so people looked at them as the standard of what it meant to be holy and what it meant to pursue after God. Even Jesus used them as an example of righteousness when he said, if your righteousness doesn't exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, then you're not able to enter into the kingdom of God. But Jesus also used them as an example of what meekness is not. When he talks about fasting, fasting is this incredibly personal but also incredibly humble act of worship that we give to God where we we keep something from ourselves in order to focus on God and to rely on God and to remind ourselves also that we don't need anything but Christ. And so it's an incredibly humbling act that takes place. But the Pharisees would go kind of overboard with it. And they would take on this physical appearance of fasting and so they would tear their clothes and they would put on sackcloth and they would rub dirt and ash all over their face and they would go through the cities and just moan and whine so people would look at them and think, oh my goodness, look how hard they're fasting. Look how humble he is because he's willing to put his body and his mind through so much to fast and they would receive all of this praise from people because of their humility. But Jesus reminds us that they just took on an outward appearance of humility, even though inside all they desired was praise. And Jesus says they got exactly what they wanted and nothing more. 
that they received the praise of other people, but their actions had no meaning in their spiritual life and it wasn't honoring to God because even though the outside looked humble, the inside was full of pride. And one of the things that's hard to remember and certainly hard to balance is that there's very often a very fine line in most of our lives between the fruit of the Spirit of gentleness and meekness and a more work of the flesh that seeks to, by living humbly, draw attention to ourselves and lift ourselves up. Along with joy, meekness might be one of the easiest fruit to convince ourselves that we're living out when we really aren't. Because we can go through the motions, we can go through the actions of humility without actually being humble at all. C.S. Lewis once said, A man is never so proud is when striking an attitude of humility. And so what we have to remember to be able to do this right is that humility, nor any other fruit of the Spirit, are the end goal in the Christian life. The most important thing in the Christian life is not at the end of the day to be someone who is humble or someone who is meek, but to be someone who is Christ-like. And that our meekness and our humility is just a pathway to draw us more and more into that Christ-like life. And so we should never desire more than anything to be remembered as humble, but to constantly be remembered as someone who reflects the humility of Christ and to be more Christ-like. And so we have to be very watchful against false humility in our lives because it's something that can happen very quickly. Because when you hear people talking about how humble you are and how gentle you are, and that will come because it's very noticeable when you live that kind of life, we have to be sure to make sure that that's not what we're seeking, but that we're seeking to be more and more like Christ every day. In addition to that, meekness is also not self-deprecation. Meekness isn't self-deprecation. It's not putting yourself down. It's not self-hatred. There have been a lot of weird ups and downs that come in the life and the history of the Christian church. And through several of those periods, especially through these bigger monastic periods where people would be drawn to to the, the lifestyle of a monk and would find themselves going out into the wilderness and living in caves and becoming hermits, it was a very intense thing that they would do to try to find purification and try to find humility and try to find forgiveness. And so you'd have monks that would stick their hands in fire until they passed out because they were trying to purify themselves from sin. You'd have these guys who would flog themselves over and over with whips trying to make penance for their sin and trying to humble themselves. And hopefully this seems like an extreme. Hopefully when you hear that, you do kind of make a face and think, oh, fire hurts. And so I don't want to be a part of that. But there's something very similar to that that happens a lot of times in the mindset of American Christians. Sometimes we can fall into a similar trap, even though it's more of a spiritual and emotional abuse on ourselves when we're pursuing meekness. It can be very easy to glorify self-hatred as some sort of piety. That if we humble ourselves to the point of putting ourselves down time and time again, that that somehow makes Christ somehow better. And we do that a lot of times because Christian traditions tend to be reactionary against one, each, one another. And so in our country, there's a big movement that we call the prosperity gospel. That's this idea that if you do the right thing and if you, if you act the right way and if you just love Jesus enough, then he'll make you healthy, he'll make you wealthy, he'll make you wise, he'll give you everything that you could ever desire. And that following Jesus is all about being the best person you can be and having all of the right things that you want. 
And so in reaction to that, because we know that that's so far from the truth of the gospel, in reaction to that, we can sometimes go to another extreme where we look at ourselves with disdain and hatred on a regular basis and we forget exactly what Christ did for us. Because to look at ourselves and find absolutely no worth or absolutely no value is a rejection of the truth of the gospel. Because Jesus died on the cross for a very specific reason, not only to bring us salvation, but to change us and to make us new and to bring us new life and new hope. And what we see in Scripture is that if you're in Christ, if you've trusted in Jesus for salvation and repented of your sins and all that's called, that we're called to do in Scripture, then we find that we are a new creation, that the old is past, that the new has come. That Jesus has set us free to be made whole in the image of God. That he's adopted us into his family as his sons and daughters. And through his death and through his shame, he did that so that he would take our guilt and our shame away. And so there's a very careful balance that we have to strike. Because when we look at God, as we saw last week, it does put everything in perspective. It reminds us that there is no one righteous, that there's no one who seeks after God. It reminds us that we have to have remorse and contrition over our sins. It reminds us, like our confession of sin does every week, that we fall short of the glory of God, not just every week, but every single day. And so we need his grace and his mercy. But it also reminds us of the beauty that Christ died to make us new. It should never take us to the point of thinking less of the work that Christ has done in our lives by saving us and changing us and bringing us into his family. The gospel reminds us very clearly that for those who are in Christ, that Jesus loves us. That Jesus not only made us, but he remade us through the power of the gospel. And we serve a Christ who doesn't make mistakes. And we serve a Jesus who doesn't deal harshly with his people, who doesn't condemn those who are in Christ. And so neither should we. And just like we looked last week at the importance of dealing with other people gently and dealing with other people in the way that we want to be dealt with, we also have to deal with ourselves gently. If we're called to see the world and to see others as Christ sees us, then we have that responsibility with ourselves as well. To not look at ourselves as we were, but look at ourselves as we are in Christ because God has looked at us and declared us good and made us whole and made us new. And so if our humility ever comes to the point of self-deprecation, then we've left meekness and gentleness behind for something completely different. Meekness is also not silence. Meekness isn't silence. In the last week of Jesus' life, as he goes into Jerusalem, we see two seemingly contrasting pictures. On one hand, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, one of the first things that he does is he walks into the temple. And it's about the time of Passover, so all the people are coming to the temple to make their sacrifices, and there were some people who knew that, and they knew how to take advantage of it. And so they go in with these sacrificial animals, and they jack the price up. Kind of like what's going to happen to the Super Bowl tonight, when people are probably paying $17 for a Coke. It's kind of like that, just so much more wrong, because these people were coming as an act of their religious faith in God to offer sacrifices to God for their sins, and there were people who were taking advantage of that by raising the cost of these sacrificial animals, and Jesus looked around and he saw that, and it disgusted him. And we see this incredibly violent picture of Jesus turning over tables and throwing people out and yelling and with a whip driving these money changers out of the temple. But then just a few days later, 
we see another picture of Jesus as he's arrested and brought before the high priest and Herod and Pilate. And as accusation after accusation that are clearly false are thrown against Jesus, he stands silent. As he's taken and beaten and spit upon and mocked, he stands silent. As he's taking his cross down the road to the place where he's going to be crucified, he's silent. And then as he's dying on the cross, he only utters a few words and none of those are lashing out at anyone. As people are looking at him, yelling at him that he can't even save himself, he stands silent and only asks for God's forgiveness over those people. Was Jesus any less meek in the temple? Of course not. Jesus is who he is. We're told in scripture that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the Jesus in the temple is the same Jesus who died silently on the cross. And what this does is it teaches us something about what meekness really looks like. Because a lot of times we can think about the fact that meekness just means that in all circumstances, in all times, we just bite our tongues and stand back in the corner. But Christian meekness is the understanding of when to speak and when to stay silent. It's the discernment to know the times when we need to bite our tongues and when maybe our voices aren't needed or aren't necessary, but also the times when our voices are. And when we need to speak, Christian meekness gives us the discernment to know how to speak. We live in a culture now that's probably the noisiest culture that ever existed. Because at one point in time, to, to voice your opinion, you had to go talk to somebody. And so you had to make an effort to voice your opinion. Or maybe you would write something down and have to send it out, and it would have to be copied time and time again by hand or by printing press. Or even when the newspapers were a big thing, it would just take some time, and you had to be a certain kind of person to get your message out to the masses. But now you don't have to have a conversation. You don't just have to pick up the phone and call somebody. You can take your phone in your hand and write out a message or make a video of yourself and beam it out as it's happening to all of your friends and maybe people you've never met. And so at one time you can talk to hundreds of people, if not thousands of people, if not tens of thousands of people and voice your message. We're inundated with voices on television and on the internet and everything. There's TV shows for sports and news alike where you have six people sitting at a desk just yelling at each other because we're so used to the noise. And so sometimes our silence can speak volumes. Sometimes in a noisy and brutal culture, the fact that we don't constantly speak about everything and that sometimes we remain silent is shocking. It was for for Jesus' case. When he's standing before Pilate, and Pilate seems to be so confused about why Jesus isn't defending himself against all these accusations from people who are supposed to be Jesus' people. And so at that moment, the silence of Christ spoke volumes. But sometimes there are times when we need to speak out. We're going to hear from representatives of the Pregnancy Resource Center today who do such incredible work speaking on behalf of those who have no voice. And we're told in Scripture that true religion is caring for widows and orphans. In James' day, they were the most vulnerable people in society and in the world. And the most vulnerable people that it happens to be right now in our society are unborn children who have no protection and no rights. And they need us to stand up and to speak for them. And not only for them, not only to be pro-birth, but to be pro-life. To care for the families, to care for women in crisis situations, and to care for that child over the course of their entire life. And we have a responsibility to 
speak about those things and to make our voices known because there aren't voices to speak for themselves. But we also have to carry with us in our hearts that gentleness and that meekness to know how to speak about it. Even if we have to speak loudly, even if we have to speak sometimes violently about it, our words still should be coded in meekness and gentleness and the kindness and mercy of Christ, caring for the whole person and the whole situation. And so sometimes our, sp- our silence can speak volumes, and sometimes we have to speak up and speak loudly. But whether in silence or in shouting, we must always wear the meekness of Christ. And then we need to realize that meekness is not weakness. Meekness isn't weakness. In Jesus' life, he took the narrative of the culture that he lived in and he turned it upside down. He did that in the religious world, but he also did that in the secular governmental world as well. Because in the Roman times, the crucifixion was a mark of victory. The crucifixion was a mark of conquest. It was a reminder to everyone that the strong always triumph over the weak. And so as you walk down the Roman roads and you would see people crucified as you go along, you would be reminded that Rome was more powerful than this person. Rome was more powerful than this leader. Rome was more powerful than this rebellion. That the strong had the power to overtake the weak. And a lot of times, meekness and gentleness and humility... These things can look an awful lot like weakness from the outside perspective. But W.E. Vines, in his definition of this word, he said it must be clearly understood that meekness manifested by the Lord and commended to the believer is the fruit of power. The common assumption is that when a man is meek, it's because he cannot help himself. But the Lord was meek because he had infinite resources, the infinite resources of God at his command. Jesus shows us the true definition of being meek. Jesus had all the power of the universe. Jesus had more power than Rome and all the kingdoms of the world combined. He had all the power that he needed to save himself as all of the people were challenging to do. Jesus could have used that power to save himself, but instead out of his meekness and out of his gentleness, he used that power to save the world. And I can't imagine being in that position with my ego and my attitude. Because when somebody challenges me on something, I want to show them. And so if I was in that place and somebody was saying, look at that guy. He said he's going to save the world, but he can't even save himself. My thought would be, do you want me to show you what I can do? Do you want me to show you everything that I have inside of me and the power that I have? Because I created you in an instant and I can take you out in one as well. And so don't challenge my power and don't challenge my authority. And yet in the meekness of Christ, with all of that power, with all of that majesty, with all of the magnitude of who he was, he looked at those people as they were shouting those things against them. And he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Meekness isn't weakness. It's the ability to count God's glory and the good of others as greater than our pride, greater than our power, and to have the strength to continue that in all circumstances. Gentleness and meekness is the power to look at someone who we consider our enemy and know that we have the ability to take retribution and vengeance against them, but that we don't because we value their good because Christ valued our good when we were his enemies as well. It's taking our power and using it for the 
good of God and for the good of our neighbor instead of the good of ourselves. It's not being powerless. Because we know that's not true in the life of a Christian. That he's given us these fruit of the Spirit. That he's set us free so that we are no longer in slavery to sin or to the law. That we have all the power of God on our side. And yet we're called to be humble and meek and to deal with others gently. So it's not false humility. It's not self-deprecation. It's not silence. And it's not weakness. And now I want to talk about what meekness looks like in our lives very briefly. And that when we live it out the right way, what takes place as we put meekness and gentleness into practice in our daily lives? The first thing we see is that the gentleness or meekness is the outward manifestation of the other fruit of the Spirit. It's the outer manifestation of the other fruit of the Spirit. Vines continues to say this, Described negatively, meekness is the opposite of self-assertiveness and self-interest. It is equanimity of the spirit that is neither elated nor downcast simply because it's not occupied with itself at all. What Vines is saying there is basically what happens when we live out meekness is that it drives us into all the others, especially peace. That word equanimity is basically a way of saying everything is even keel. That it's not too high, that it's not too low. That meekness and gentleness put us in the exact right place to not only see ourselves as we are, but see others as God views them and see God in light of who he is. And in light of all of that, what we find is peace. Meekness is what drives us to be able to love because as we know, love is putting someone else ahead of ourselves. It's a sacrificial kind of love that Jesus shows us and that Jesus offered for us. Meekness gives us joy because we're reminded of the fact that we don't have to be as good as we think that we should be because Christ did all of that on our behalf and that Christ humbled himself to become nothing on our behalf to make us into something new. And so that should be a cause for joy. It helps us to have patience because all of a sudden we remember that my schedule and my priorities and the things that matter to me aren't as important as God's glory and the good of my neighbors and the things that I should be doing to serve them both. And we can go on and on and on about how each one of these fruit of the Spirit, kindness and gentleness and goodness, all of these things are poured out through our meekness and our humility. And so as we've talked about all these things work together, and as we see these other fruit of the Spirit grow in our lives, it should manifest itself in our gentleness and in our meekness. Gentleness is also a testimony to salvation. Again, gentleness is probably not the word that you would use to describe our culture now. It wouldn't be a word that we would describe to any culture since man has existed. We are a violent kind of people. We have conflict, and we tend to deal harshly with one another so many different times. And so what happens when we go out and we live a life of meekness and gentleness, treating others as better than ourselves or as more significant, as Paul says, to look not only to our own needs but to the needs of others and to give God glory in all things, that's something that radically stands out in the midst of a secular culture. And so what will tend to happen is that people will take notice of your kindness. People will take notice of your love and your joy, but they'll also take notice of your meekness and your gentleness. 
And what that does is gives us an incredible opportunity because I struggle so many times to find those natural roads to just take conversations to the gospel of Jesus. And when you live in such a way, if someone ever comes and is able to say to you, you're so kind, you're so gentle, it's so amazing how you deal with this and this and this, and it's so amazing how patient and meek and kind you are, those are the conversations that immediately open themselves up to, well, let me tell you about the Christ who did this for me. Let me tell you about the God who Paul says, even though he was in the very nature God, counted equality with God, something that couldn't be grasped, but he humbled himself and took on the form of the servant, that he became nothing and was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And that's how much my God loves me. Then that's how gentle my God deals with me, that he was willing to take my shame and my guilt and my sin on himself for me because I couldn't do it. And so I live this way because it's the gentleness and the mercy and the meekness of Christ. Christ pouring out through me. And so let me tell you about how he can do that for you as well. And so it's a testimony to our salvation where we're able to share the gospel in the best way through our words and through our lives. And then finally, gentleness or meekness is an assurance of our hope. It's an assurance of our hope. In the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And this is an absolutely ridiculous concept. Because you have to understand that most of the people that were gathered there as Jesus was delivering the Sermon on the Mount, and as Jesus taught in any place that he went, most of the people there listening weren't the rulers. They weren't the kings and the emperors. Oftentimes they weren't even the religious leaders. They usually tended to be the common people and the poor and the broken and the needy. And so I have to imagine that as these people heard Jesus say, blessed is the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, they had to think, no, that's not how this works. We're here. We live in our little houses. We live traveling from place to place. We're tending our sheep. We're doing all this menial work. The people who inherit the earth, they're the strong. They're the powerful, they're the wealthy, they're the affluent, they're the educated, not the meek. They're the ones who have this ambition and this drive. And that's been the case through all of human history. It's the case now. The people who lead, the people who rule, the people who seem to inherit the earth are often the ones who have the most power, maybe the most education, they're the most affluent, they're the wealthiest, they have the greatest ambition. Very rarely do we look at a leader of any part of the world and think, there's a real gentle person. There's a real meek individual. But after all is said and done, we're told that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That means from the peasants to the prince, from the lowest of low to the highest of high, every single person who's ever lived will bow their knee to not just the king, but to the king of kings, because that's who Jesus is. Not just the creator and sustainer of the world, but the one who rules it and holds it in the palm of his hand. And in that time, one day it won't be the powerful. It won't be the oppressors who inherit the kingdom of God, but Jesus promises that it will be the meek. And this isn't in some sort of Marxist kind of thing where the meek all of a sudden grow the power to overthrow the rich. But what happens when Jesus brings the kingdom of God to earth once and for all and makes all things right and all things new, Jesus takes the kingdom of the world out of the hands of the oppressors and the powerful and he places it into the hands of the meek and the gentle king will give the kingdom of God to his gentle 
and meek followers. And so when we live these lives of gentleness and meekness, we are reminded that one day Christ will make all things right and all things new and there won't be any more oppression. There won't be any more abuses of power. There won't be any more people put down because they're weak or they're not strong enough to grab what is supposed to be theirs. But one day he'll make all of those things right and put the keys of the kingdom in the hand of the meek. And we're reminded of that every time we deal gently with someone and every time someone deals gently with us. We're reminded of that every time we live out our meekness and every time we see meekness put on display around us. We're reminded of the hope that we have in Christ that the things that aren't right here and now one day will be made right. Because of the hope that you have in Jesus, there's good news. You're not just set free from sin. You're not just set free from the law, but you're set free from spending your whole life trying to get what's yours. Instead, Jesus has called us to live a life reflecting his meekness. We're called to offer ourselves to God in humble worship, realizing his majesty and his goodness and how amazing and awesome and beyond us he is. And so first, our meekness leads us to worship, but then we're also called to count others' needs above our own, to not look only to our needs, because we certainly are called to take care of ourselves, but to look also to the needs of others and to deal gently with those around us with the same gentleness that Christ deals with us And we're also supposed to deal gently with ourselves as well because as Paul tells us, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so let's pray daily as we do with all the other fruit of the Spirit that we would be people who are marked by the meekness, by the gentleness, by the humility of Christ. And that it would be so obvious that the people around us would see that in us and not celebrate our meekness or humility, but they, through our actions and through our words and through our sharing of the gospel, would be drawn to the God who deals gently with his people. Let's pray.